0: Hello, everyone. I am back live back at the home studio. And here we are. And after a month of being on the road, the common question I was asked the most at three separate events was how do I get started? And this question was asked by freight agents, by fleet agents, um, really uh, entrepreneurs at their core, because they know that marketing is important, but they don't have an employee dedicated to handle that task. Couple this with marketing agencies as a whole struggling to try to retain their talent because a lot of that talent is facing burnout and choosing to go in-house versus working for several different companies. It's kind of a a, a difficult thing to handle whenever you know that marketing is important, but you don't know where to start and marketing agencies are pretty pricey and you're not sure if that's the right fit for you. So how do we start? That's the main topic for today's show. As I welcome you all back into another episode of Cyberly. On this show, we cover B2B marketing, the attention economy, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. I am your host, Blythe Brumleaf, owner of Digital Dispatch. And in today's show, We are talking about how to get started with marketing your business, some news you might have missed in the world of digital media. Pam Simon, the conference chair of Manifest, the Future of Logistics is joining us to talk about event planning for that conference that's happening in January. And then we got a little bit of brain candy with some of my favorite TikToks that I have been keeping track of during this entire time that I've been on the road. So I've got some good ones for you towards the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. But the first topic that I want to dive into is the most common question that I was asked on the road: How do I get started? And as more and more companies, I want to bring up this Gartner survey because they surveyed more than 400 marketers last month, and they found that 29% of previous of work handled previously by agencies has moved in-house in the past year. And separate survey conducted by Gartner in 2020 revealed that most marketers commonly bring social media creative production and content marketing in-house. And the biggest reasons that they're doing it is speed because they can get work done faster, obviously, if somebody is in-house versus hiring somebody that's outsourced or somebody that uh, within a marketing agency that probably has 30 other businesses that they're managing all at the same time. Also, transparency concerns. You can talk about the company a lot better whenever you are in within the trenches of the company and you hear the kind of tones and the verbiage that are being used. And then also costs. It, it You can save a significant amount of money if you hire the right person to come in-house versus paying some of these marketing agencies upwards of 6 million, or not 6 million, but 6 figures, upwards of millions of dollars just to handle your marketing. Now there's Advantages to getting an agency, of course, because you have a bigger team, more de- more dedicated team. Uh, they they have more of a isolated skill sets. As in, somebody is specialized in social media marketing, somebody is specialized in video production, and that saves you time from having to find that talent yourself. But bringing that in house talent, especially some of these unicorn employees who are who can do kind of it all that's really where the, the where you will find a lot of benefits for hiring somebody in-house versus hiring an agency or just kind of ignoring it at all. But a lot of those employees that are working within marketing agencies are also facing burnout. Why? I alluded to it earlier that a lot of workers within an agency, they're working with several different companies, several different clients. The hours are insanely demanding. And during a year where We saw a lot of the marketing budgets being put on the back burner. Now those budgets have come back and they've come back with a force. So a lot of employees at marketing agencies are facing burnout and they're choosing to go in-house where they can specialize with one company versus several different company. In fact, a Forrester report forecasting the industry the marketing industry as a whole will shed more than 50,000 jobs over the next two years. So this is a trend of employees going in-house, of marketing employees going in-house, And it's not slowing down anytime in the future. But many of us who are working in freight, we're lucky to even have somebody that's dedicated to marketing. And if you have one person, you probably only have one person and they're tasked with a slew of different job duties. And so that's another concern. And I'm saying if you even have somebody dedicated to marketing, because let's be honest, marketing is usually in logistics, it's on the back burner, it's not a focus sometimes the c-suite the executive team they know it's important and so they'll dabble in it from time to time they'll post to linkedin maybe twice a month and they call that marketing or they'll send out an advertisement with a you know a stock image of a semi-truck in in order to call that marketing it's 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 simply not the case you need to have dedicated employees or at least one employee that can handle those tasks but if you don't have that luxury yet Let's talk about how to get started with a digital marketing plan that you can stay committed to and that you can do yourself, even if you are the CEO of the company or the the owner of the company and you were just getting started. So the first thing I would advise on how to get started is to pick a content vertical that includes your customers and leads. So are you likely hosting a webinar? Are you regularly communicating with your customer base, with your leads? And then also using insights from those conversations, because if you're not hosting webinars and you're not having conversations with your customers, that should absolutely be at the top of your list to do before you ever start a marketing plan. But the good news is that if you have these conversations, then that fuels the rest of your content marketing ship. So pick a content vertical that includes your customers and leads, and you can do this by hosting a webinar and then conducting customer interviews. Those customer interviews don't have to be public. They can be private conversations, but the insights you're going to learn from those conversations are then going to help you throughout your entire content planning and, and just process mapping for whenever you're developing your content marketing plan. Then the next thing you're going to do is you are going to pick a channel that you own And then you're going to pick a distribution channel that you rent. So think of platforms that you own. There's only three platforms that you will ever own in the digital space, and that is your website, your podcast, and your email list. Those three things are the only thing that you are ever going to own. So you need to pick one of those verticals in order to host your content on. And then the next thing that you want to do is you want to pick a distribution platform. So think social media. When I say distribution platform, I am talking about your social media, your advertising, think channels like that. And so pick a rented piece of land as far as your distribution is concerned. And you want to pick a platform where your audience is already hanging out. So if you're trying to attract drivers, you're not necessarily going to go to LinkedIn in order to recruit drivers. LinkedIn is better suited for brokers, shippers, connecting with them that way. Drivers is Instagram, it's YouTube, it's TikTok. These are all the platforms that drivers particularly hang out. And then you want to keep that in mind whenever you're pushing your message out. Are you trying to connect with shippers? Because they're probably hanging out on LinkedIn or Instagram. Or do you want to connect with other brokers, other 3PLs, then you probably want to probably participate on those same platforms, Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn primarily just because there's so much more room for organic reach on LinkedIn versus any other platform that's out there. TikTok, I would argue, but TikTok is still a long journey, I think, for a lot of companies, especially in logistics in order to make the trek over to that network. But there's a lot of organic growth opportunity, So I will sing the praises of, of TikTok still. And you've listened to the show before, you know that I love that platform. That's probably my favorite definitely my favorite social media platform closely or followed closely by LinkedIn. So pick a platform that you own, your website, your podcast, or your email list, pick one of those mediums. And then you're going to pick that rented land, depending on wherever your audience is hanging out. And the next thing that you want to keep in mind is consistency. We're all busy and there's no, and that is no excuse to not prioritize networking and reaching out to your potential audience because a snowball effect that you could have from this is, 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 is tremendous. And when I say that, it, that you have to be consistent, it's not, okay, well, I think I'm going to post to social media four times this week. Saying something like that to yourself is nice, but what time are you going to post? Are you going to prioritize it? And the way that I like to do it and the way that helps me the most, because I'm a business owner, I have clients that I manage, and and sometimes things get too crazy. And I have to put my marketing to the side. That's what happens with a lot of different businesses. And so you are no different. And so being able to place a specific time of the day or a specific day of the week in order to tackle your marketing is probably the best tip that I can give you. I tackle my marketing first thing in the morning when I wake up. I usually will write a little post-it note to myself and I'll tape it to, I'll post it right to the bathroom mirror and I will keep that there. So then that way, the next morning when I'm waking up and I'm doing my morning routine, then I kind of have an idea of, I already know what I'm gonna talk about, but how I'm gonna actually phrase it. I take care of that first thing in the morning and then I go about my business for the rest of the day. And then as I'm taking breaks, if I'm running to the bank or if I'm on you know, lunch or if I'm just getting off a call, then that's my opportunity to check in with that post and to check in with the the marketing that I sent out or the message that I sent out earlier in the day. And that's a way for me to continuously follow up and engage with people and network with people in a digital environment, but I still took care of that first priority and that's getting the message out. So I'm using those conversations that I had on the webinar with my customers, with my leads, and I'm using those insights of of the conversations that I had with them. So the problems that they were facing, why they became my customer, why they continue to still work with me, little trigger points like that, that will help me fuel the rest of my messaging. And so being able to tackle that first thing in the morning goes a long way. The second tip I would give you is if you like your morning routine, you're kind of set in it and set in stone already, I would pick one day out of the week and I would batch it. And I would batch four to five different messages that you're gonna talk about for that following week Write them all out in a Google document or write them all out in a Google spreadsheet with the date that you're going to publish them. And then that way, it's as easy as copying and pasting directly into the platform on the day that you want to post it. So you're still posting it on the first thing in the morning whenever you first wake up. But at least you don't have to go through the process of thinking about what you want to say. Sometimes, depending on the person and depending on the day or the workflow, it's easier to just crank out you know, five or six different LinkedIn posts or Instagram posts, crank out those captions, get them saved, and then that way you have a library of content to go back to. And so that way you're not scrambling first thing in the morning and wondering what you're going to post. And then you, you probably is just going to end up on the back burner, like I've said a million times already in this show. So consistency is incredibly important. So you can batch it Tackle it first thing in the morning, and then the rest of your business can be, or the rest of your day can be focused on running your business, which is what you're best at as well. So you're killing two bars with one stone by tackling it that way. That's what's helped me out the most. And then also managing what you're, I, I mentioned, you know, posting it into a spreadsheet or posting it into a Google Doc. There's also tools out there, project management tools. A project management tool has saved my life on so many different occasions. I don't know how many of you are out there using project management tools, but things like Monday.com, ClickUp, Asana, uh, Basecamp, these are all different project management tools that you can store all of your information and your brainstorming uh, links to the content that you want to share. Images, you can communicate with other staff members. Maybe you have somebody that's helping you out with graphic design and they develop the graphics, they can load it right into that project management software. So I don't know how everybody is surviving without a project management tool because it is my Bible. I check it multiple times per day, more so than email. So get yourself a good project management tool or get yourself a good process using one of you know the free software tools out there. I think Microsoft Excel has a free Open Docs software somewhere. Uh, I, I use Google Docs and I use Google Sheets. So that's the one that I know and that I love. And it makes collaboration pretty easy. But if you follow those different steps, because then you have, You have your topics that your customers actually care about or your potential customers actually care about. You have a platform that you own to actually create the content. Then you have that rented land, that distribution place of where you're going to send that content of where your audience is already hanging out. You have tactics to manage it all. You have software to manage it all. And then you also have to promise yourself that you're going to be consistent with this for at least six months because that you're really not going to see much if you do it for two months and then you just disappear. You you want to be consistent because once you start spreading messages and once you start talking about your business, you don't just want to disappear for months and months at a time. Because then your audience is frankly going to forget about you and the algorithm. It's going to be tougher to build up momentum again via the algorithm. And so keeping that consistency by just carving out, 20 to 30 minutes in first thing in the morning is the best thing that you can do for your business. And if you do this for six months, I promise you, you are going to see a huge amount of snowball effect that's going to take place because it's rooted. This the, all of the things that you're talking about and all of the things that you're posting are rooted in the customer and they're rooted in the leads that you're trying to attract. So the more you post, The more you're going to learn, the more that your audience is going to learn from you and about your company. And it just pays off in dividends. And so that is the blueprint of how I would get started with digital marketing and how I I would advise anyone out there that's listening. If you haven't gotten started in digital marketing, or if you're, maybe you stalled a little bit, maybe you started and stalled and you want to get back into it. That is where I would start. Start having conversations with your customers because everything else is meaningless if you're not having those conversations with your customers. So let's move on into a few other hot topics that you might have missed in the month of August. I know I missed a bunch of these and I'm excited to share them with you because, well, I guess not really excited because it, it, it's sort of a mild anxiety attack because we have four months left until the new year, less than four months left until the new year. So if you wanna start experimenting, you've got that marketing budget that's still left over for the last few months. Here's some different little news topics that you may wanna consider Uh, either investing in or changing up your strategy because there's a few different news points, especially from LinkedIn because LinkedIn is killing stories. Stories has been around for less than a year. You log into the app, uh, you would notice that uh, similar to Instagram and, and Twitter as well, they all had fleets or stories and linkedin has decided that they're getting rid of it twitter decided about a month ago that they were doing the same and uh, stories are great on instagram but i don't know I, I don't know about you but i don't enjoy them on any other platform but instagram i barely scroll the feed on instagram anymore it's usually about checking out the first few stories and then i'm out on that app linkedin stories i just never frankly used it. I, I maybe posted to it a couple times, but I never checked out anybody else's stories. And so LinkedIn got some data back, got some feedback from their users and they decided they're just gonna kill it and Twitter as well. But I think it's, it's kind of cool to see these bigger platforms taking a step back and saying, okay, well, we kind of copied this feature from another Snapchat, another platform. And it worked out well for Instagram, but it doesn't necessarily work out well for our audience. I do know that TikTok is experimenting with adding stories into their platform. I do think it might actually work better on TikTok than it has on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, So just something to keep in mind is if you were planning any kind of story type content, you want to keep those on Instagram because LinkedIn is getting rid of it. And Twitter already has announced and They've already ditched it, I think, completely from their platform. So you can't even post to fleets if you tried. Um, now, going back to Instagram, they are killing the swipe up for stories. So if you are one of those lucky few people, not lucky few, there's actually many people who have other ten uh, over 10,000 followers, that was the prerequisite in order to be able to post a link in your feed or in your stories from Instagram. Instagram famously will only allow you the link in bio. They don't allow you to link in the post. So all of you people who are posting links and comments on Instagram posts, they don't work. So you just stop doing it. But there is another way for you that you might be able to take advantage of in the future because the rumor is, is that they're adding instead of the swipe up feature, what they're adding is a sticker to your Instagram stories that you can link to from there. But it's kind of a hit or miss because with these social media platforms, they don't want users leaving their platform. They want the user to stay on their platform. So they're not going to they're not going to prioritize that type of content that sends users away from their platform. So just keep that in mind as you're building out your marketing plans that hey, this feature might be available, but you might be able to tell your story a little bit better or it resonates a little bit more and it has more organic reach than by posting a link in that story. We all want links back to our content, but sometimes with these platforms you've got to play the game and the game with Instagram is not sending traffic away from that platform because they will deprioritize you whether it's in a post or a story or reels you have to want to, you want to focus on keeping the users in the platform because otherwise your your content's just going to disappear Now, the next one that I want to bring up before we bring on Pam is TikTok has passed YouTube for the average time watched per user. This tweet from Reed on Twitter, he's the manager for some of the top YouTube talent like Mr. Beast. And to clarify a little bit, YouTube still holds the top spot for overall time spent not per user with over 2 billion monthly users versus TikTok's 700 million users in 2020. Now, if you do the math, this is the reason why YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook are all terrified of the continued growth of TikTok. TikTok, frankly, has a better user experience, especially when it comes to their discovery feed and their video. And the best content that's being shared right now is originating from TikTok. You see the watermark. On, t- on Twitter. You'll see it on Facebook. You'll see it on Instagram. You'll see it on all of these different platforms. The best content that's being created on the web right now is being created on TikTok. So you have to figure out a way that you can translate your storytelling because with TikTok surpassing the amount of time viewed on the platform per user, then that just means and they they have half of the amount of less than half of the amount of users as YouTube. And so it's frankly, it's one of those things where you have to think about how your short form video strategy is is taking hold. If you have a short form video strategy, and really a short form video strategy is about taking one specific topic about your service, about your product, about your event, and then talking about that in one to three minutes hops. And that's something that you need to keep in mind for the future because attention spans are dropping. We've covered short form video in the past. I've actually linked to it in the show description in case you want to watch that show that dives a little bit deeper into how you can invest more time into short form video, but it can really be used as a distribution pathway too, where you have that, that webinar that you hosted or those customer interviews that you've hosted, and they're comfortable with you sharing. You can create Several TikToks based off of those two bigger pieces of content. So just keep that in mind uh, as you're building out the rest of your marketing plans for the rest of this year. Because like I said, we have less than four months until the new year. You're going to be making new goals. You're going to be making new budgets for the for 2022. So keep in mind of how the attention is shifting in the economy and where the attention is going and where money is being spent on certain features within certain platforms. I think it's fascinating. So that's why I always love to drop those, those. those news nuggets on you guys. And then one more key stat before we bring Pam on is podcasting. You're all very young, especially significantly younger than other audiences of other media coming from this uh, image comes from Westwood one. And it's quoting Todd Maffin of D- today in digital marketing, where he says the median age of podcast listeners is 34 younger than AMFM radios, 48 and broadcast TV networks is 50. The report says podcast listeners are upscaled, they're educated, and more than half of those in the U.S. are white-collar workers. And 55, this is one of the the stats that really jumped out to me, that 55% have a household income of $75,000 plus so it's a it's a larger income household, and then plus 39% hold management positions. And so with podcasting in particular, it's a little bit higher of an income, and it's a little bit higher of an educational uh, a status, I guess you could say, for a lot of the workers that are out there. So think of that as you're building out your also your advertising campaigns, because we'll cover that in a future show. Podcasting has really taken off as far as advertising, and the ROIs are, are pretty promising. Cover that in a future show. But since we've covered everything major going on in social media and podcasting, let's switch gears a little bit to content marketing and events, because few are more qualified to talk about this topic than conference chair for Manifest, the Future of Logistics, happening in January 2022, and Executive Vice President of Programming for Connective. We're bringing on Pam Simon. Pam, welcome into the show. Hey, how are you? (laughs) Very well, very well. Glad to be back. And I, I, I'm sure you're 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 glad to be, you know, under, you know, starting to plan and, and really get into the fine tuning of, of the conference that you guys have going on in January. So let's um, let's start off with with your job role. What exactly does an executive vice president of programming do?
1: Um, at a high level, I'm responsible for securing the speakers, creating the content, the schedule flow of the event, and staying on top of what's happening in the industry.
0: And now, how did you sort of, because you come from an entrepreneurial background, how did you get involved with planning events and planning conferences? Um,
1: so I would say um, in 2008, a friend of mine asked for you know some help on his startup, so I was helping him. And he invited me to go to an event, you know, one of the, the meetups that was happening in New York. And I went and it was awful. And like, we left. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I just lost two hours of my life. I'm never going to back. Like, why? And so he said, well, could you do a better job? Said, yeah. So, okay, great. Let's do it. All right, fine. Um, you know, I'm s- still working a nine to five kind of job in marketing. So we, we launched Future of Local, which was a panel discussion once a month. And what started out with like 30 people turned into a few hundred on a week, monthly basis. Um, And then, you know, because I was so involved with the New York tech space, when my husband got relocated to Brazil, um, I figured I could take some of the knowledge and experience that i had had in New York and translate that over there. So ended up producing the first demo day to ever take place in the country for an accelerator. And then the first entrepreneur week which was a five-day event with uh, 145 speakers. Um, So following those two events, I mean, as you said before, networking is a huge uh, part of my life and has been extremely important. So because of the network that I had built, was able to launch LATAM Founders, which is a private network for investors and CEOs focused on tech in Latin America. And then when we came back to the US, I joined Lab Ventures, to uh, you know, be on the venture side of things. When we started talking about company building and what are the best ways to build and strengthen these types of relationships with corporations, with investors, with other technology providers out there, in my background is in events and connecting people. So you can think of me as a as a business yenta, if you will. <laughs> and um, you know, I asked my asked my partners, like, okay, well, can I just launch an event series? Like, sure, go for it. Um, so that's how Future of Logistics came to be. And then in 2019, Connective acquired my event series. So it's, it's been an exciting few years.
0: So, so how did you, did you have, uh, I guess, a, a familiarity with logistics before starting up a logistics event? Or maybe it was just part of, uh, you know, part of your network? How did you really get involved with logistics?
1: So we were with the lab, we were looking at the three areas that were most prominent and disruptive in Miami, particularly. So logistics, real estate, and travel. And that's initially what got me into the industry. We did our first event in 2017 that had about 200 people, and then the following year, about 450 people. Um, when I'm excited about an industry, I just dive headfirst in and start to figure out what the ecosystem looks like and, and who should be there. And with logistics, there's so much room for disruption. Um, There's so many new technologies, there's so many areas that you can explore. And for me, that was what was really interesting.
0: That's awesome. And and you said something interesting earlier, you mentioned that you went to an event and it was so boring that you left early. And so you wanted to create an event that was better. What were some of those things that you wanted to incorporate into an event that that you hadn't seen before?
1: Um, I wanted to have really interesting conversations on stage. I wanted people to be able to walk away learning something as opposed to just hearing a sales pitch. Mm. So I think for me, it was coming up with the dynamic of who can play off each other on stage. Um, I love putting competitors together, for example. Um, I think that when you have that organic conversation, a lot of interesting points will come out. And I think, you know, one of the things that we do with Manifest is it's not pay to play. Um, So I think there's been a change in the event industry with most events actually charging to be a speaker. Um, And where I'm actually reaching out only to people that I think will, that are making an impact on the industry and would be beneficial for others to learn from.
0: Absolutely, I, I love that approach because I, I I think we've all been to conferences in the past where it's, it just feels like a sales pitch and they want people to start lining up in the middle of the event in order to buy someone's book or something. Yeah. So that, those are more of some of the like more cringy moments. But you're yeah. based in Miami now. And and with being based in Miami, over the last year, it's been insane to watch. The the I guess the in the the nation as a whole shift their mindset from the tech scene being in California versus Miami. Talk to me about your just your personal experience with seeing the growth of the tech scene in Miami. I, I would imagine that the networking has been going off and that y- you're you're able to make some of those those better connections in person. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's I mean a lot of people have moved down to Miami over the last year, and I think you know, having such an influx of different people has been wonderful for the ecosystem. Uh, There's a whole kind of old school group that's been in the tech space for a while here. So having all the new people come and blending it together, I think has been really interesting to watch. Um, Overall, I mean, I'm excited for me. I've been able to meet more people in person, which is obviously great. Um, And Miami people come through here all the time. So it's it's a nice place to be. I can't complain. (laughs)
0: And and being in Miami, there's a lot of entrepreneurs around there. You're an entrepreneur yourself and, and you founded companies, sold them, adjusted your your workday kind of around that. Tell us a little bit about that journey. What was it I would imagine it would be tough to give up uh, you know, what what essentially is your baby, that your company that you've poured a lot of heart and, and blood and sweat and tears into. Was it difficult to make that decision, or was it ultimately, you know, a breath of fresh air to to have additional
1: help? Uh no, it was. It was definitely uh, something that I was pushing for and, and looking to do. Um, I knew that I'd created something with with value and it it's been an extremely important experience for the people that have come. And to be able to take what I've created and bring it to the next level, I needed more support. I needed more people that could help me. I mean, when I was doing Future of Logistics, it was me doing everything soups to nuts, Mm. all of it. Um, I did bring on two people. So I have, you know, an awesome team, but, you know, selling the company and and joining Manifest really gave me this incredible opportunity to bring what I had envisioned, you know, or hoped my event would become, you know, to a reality. Um, And I've been really lucky. I've been able to hire my dream team um, and, and having the support of, you know, operations and marketing and people that, that truly understand all of the inner workings that go into this type of an event has been an invaluable experience so far.
0: Well, well let's let's switch gears and, and talk about Manifest, the future of, of logistics because it, it caught my eye because I, I'm a full disclosure, I am an email subscriber to, to the Manifest email. I love it. I, I saw the website and it was the most, one of the most impressive lists of speakers that I've ever seen, especially when it comes to the logistics industry. What all has gone into planning the topics and the speakers? I would imagine this has been a long process to undertake.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've been working on it for a while. Uh, Initially, it was supposed to take place in June of this year, and we moved it because of COVID. I mean, safety is our main priority for our attendees. So I've had... This is actually the longest runway that I've ever had in my life to plan an event. Oh, wow. Uh, which is, yeah, it's, it's definitely different. <laughs> Normally uh, my other events were, you know, three to four months max, um, with time. So it was a much more scrambled approach. Now we can actually take more time and go do deeper dives into a variety of different areas, which makes it so exciting. Um, you know, and manifest is the only event that encompasses the whole logistics supply chain from ocean and maritime through last mile and within the four walls of the warehouse
0: and 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 you brought it up but speaking of the elephant in the room with Covid, how many times have you had to adjust this plan to accommodate the the varying you know CDC guidelines and all the other you know new rules that seemingly pop up all the time?
1: We were really fortunate that we moved the show to January, but when we did, so we didn't have the scramble that a lot of other mm-hmm. people have experienced in trying to find new dates or venues. Why not? We did that early on. I would say one thing that's been. Different than what I'm used to is definitely having to keep on talk of, of the uh, the travel bans and that sort of thing. You know, mm. Manifest is a global show. I've confirmed speakers from 27 different countries, oh, so wow. pay more attention in that regard. Um, but we have decided, you know, Manifest will be a vaccinated event, so proof of vaccination will be shown before entering, and we're going to be taking every precaution to make sure that you know everything is safe for our attendees.
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's only so much you can do. And it sounds like, I mean, especially you have a front and center on the website too, which I help, I I think helps ease, you know, any kind of concerns, um, that, that folks may have, but from traveling over the last month, the overwhelming opinion of fee- of people was, I am so glad to be back. And it was funny to hear some of the conversations, like one gentleman in particular, he was like, I forgot how to pack for a conference. And so hearing those kind of stories, I, I thought that that was interesting. And, and those events as well took, you know, as, as many precautions as you possibly can take. And then ultimately the, the crowd is able to, to ease the stress a little and, and, and have some fun. Now, with the, the lead time that, that you mentioned that you have before the January conference, you've also been doing something that's really unique compared to any other conference I've seen is that you've been holding these interviews with speakers and with some of the companies that are going to be appearing. That, that's a little bit of a different content approach. And I, I love it from the content marketing perspective. W- w- tell me a little bit about that process, how it came to be and and, and how you're
1: executing it. Honestly, when... When a number of shows started going virtual, we had a conversation, you know, should we consider going virtual? What are the options? And we all kind of revolted against it because, I mean, from our team, we're all live events people and let's focus on what we're good at. We know we can bring this to life. Um, And we had moved the show, so we had a lot of runtime and we were trying, you know, basically went into one of our meetings and was like, look, we need to find more ways to give more value to our speakers, to our sponsors, to our network as we lead up to the show. Uh, I'd love to do a fireside chat series. Again, it's similar. I guess I'm, i work with people that are agreeable and say, sure, go for it. If you want to tackle that, have a good time. Um, So basically that's, that's how the fireside chat series started. And I'm interviewing speakers and sponsors and our partners um, to highlight and amplify what they're doing. So when they have a big announcement coming up, we'll do an interview as a way to kind of Bump that up and you'll get more details and kind of behind the scene looks on what's really going on behind the, the news lines you're seeing.
0: I love it because it's such a good, it, it's it's a good way to promo the conference without feeling like it's super salesy. Because I think for, for a lot of conferences and events in the past, essentially all they do is, is make like a, a highlight reel or a promo reel. And that's really it. I think conducting the the pre-show interviews, I love that idea. So I've been watching some of those videos and I'll link to those in the description as well, in case any of you guys want to go and check out some of those interviews for the speakers and and the panelists that are going to actually be at Manifest in January. Um, While you're having these fireside chats, were there any topics that, I mean, you're obviously in the trenches, but were there any topics that just sort of Jumped out at you that said, "Wow, I can't wait to learn more about you know this company or learn more about this topic."
1: Um, I think quantum computing is going to be extremely interesting. That hasn't aired yet, but um, the conversations that we were having are—it's an area that I'm not as versed in, mm-hmm. so I think that was quite interesting. Um, I mean, overall, I've had some incredible conversations. We spoke with Stantec about you know the infrastructure and programming that you need to. You know, launch an autonomous program uh, within your business mm-hmm. with point pickup, you know discussing the last mile and retaining that that customer relationship all the way through. Um, so the conversations have been really fun. and I mean, i'm I'm lucky. I'm fortunate I get to have these conversations with really innovative people, and they're taking the time to answer whatever questions I have, which is great.
0: Now, separate from the fireside chats that you've already had, do, do you have any favorite topics that you're looking forward to? And, you know, maybe even some favorite segments or tracks that you can share with us?
1: Uh, there's tons. I mean, we're, we're kicking off the show with our Maritime and Port Symposium, which will explore collaboration towards, with innovation with the dock. We're thinking about, um, you know, ocean freight with Corlo- uh, Cargo Logic and Nautilus Labs how um, companies are addressing energy consumption with you know, LogWord and ClearNow and Slink. Um, we'll go into some of the complexities around you know, the rise in e-commerce and the demand with Global Container Terminals, the Florida Custom Brokers Association, and Maersk. Um, you know, and then we have, we have keynotes with E2Open, Domatic, Rider, UPS, and GoPuff. Uh, I mean, like, there's, I can keep talking about this, uh, we'll, we'll you know, like leveraging real time visibility uh, to predict, assess and mitigate risk with Project 44 and Tive, everything and Alibaba um, we will tackle sustainability with IKEA and H&M, um, as I mentioned, quantum computing with Honeywell. The future of work is something that keeps coming up quite a bit. Um, so backcountry and Caja Robotics and Butterfly, will dive into some of those. Um, you know, we're, we're really covering, we're covering a lot of ground. Uh, yeah. I
0: mean, it sounds (laughs) like all the aspects of the, the, really the industry, all of the hot topics are really going to be covered. And it it, it sounds like you guys got, you know, a a bunch of the key players involved, including Cargo Logic. We just had Miles on the show about a month ago and he's a fellow, you know, Miami tech, Miami tech person. So that's, that's cool that you guys are connected.
1: It's kind of a small world when you think about it. Is, um, I like that. He's a, he's a good friend. Um, and one thing that's also different is we will be you know, bringing in the investor perspective. We have investors from Playground Global, from Fontanalis, from New uh, New Road Capital Partners, and more. So uh, we'll be bringing all of those pieces together. And I will say, I'm looking forward to your panel that you're moderating with uh, Kodiak Robotics, Embark, Hasai, and PLUS. Uh, likewise,
0: I, I am thoroughly looking forward to that because I, I think that that's, you know, I, I, I think we both share a, a common curiosity when it comes to logistics. And and that's one of the sectors that I know a little bit about, but I can't wait to learn more about and especially from, from those kind of industry vets like that, it's going to be fascinating. So I'm, I'm, you know, selfishly, I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. Um, and then you also mentioned in in our pre-show meeting, you, you talked about the off the grid experience. Is it, Tell me a little bit about that because is mm-hmm. it something where like no tech is allowed or, or what's going on with
1: that? Uh, you know, most events like this tend to be a bunch of booths and business cards and we're word- Doing things different. We're we're gonna get a little weird. Um <laughs> even, but it's an example. Uh we're having a bacon bloody mary donut bar. Uh um, oh, wow. We're having a puppy lounge. There'll be a what? craft. Store. Yes. Geodis is sponsoring a puppy lounge. So that's coming No, that is incredible. I sold. <laughs> um I told them I, I if you can't find me at any time, I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, I'll
0: be right there with you. That is incredible. I've always imagined, you know, the, the Puppy Bowl during the Super Bowl, just wanting to sit in the middle of that field during the halftime show. So if you guys have anything close to that, then sign me up. I'll be there the entire time.
1: Now now you can have that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Manifest. Um, we'll have a, um, a craft mocktail bar sponsored by the Front Door Collective a women's luncheon sponsored by DHL, Project 44, and AI, which our president, Courtney Muller, is hosting. Um, at one of your, Actually, one of your panelists plus will be doing ride-alongs. So in addition to having all the autonomous trucks and vehicles there, we'll also dive into LiDAR um, with Hassai and AI. We'll go into EVs with XOS. We'll go into drones with Flytrex and WingCopter. Um, we're definitely going down the rabbit hole with robotics. There's a lot of robotics folks that are going to be coming um, from Domatic to Swiss log to Geek plus. Um, and then so there's there's going to be a lot of uh, of interactive and new ways to engage with the different technologies that are going to be disrupting the logistics industry.
0: So you have lots of learning with robotics and all of these different, you know, just high profile companies. And then you have the Bloody Mary and the donut bar, which checks those boxes for me. And then the puppy area. I mean, it sounds like you have something for everyone and it's in Vegas. So, and it's, yeah. that, so it's a big, big selling points all around. And, and I know that you mentioned that you also have a surprise special announcement. And I, I love surprises. I don't know what this is. So go ahead and, and, and share it with us.
1: Uh, so for our closing party, uh, Ludicrous will be closing out our show. No way! Um, so we're very excited about that. He's actually invested in a number of companies in the space, so we'll probably hear from him as well. Um, Luda
0: very- out here getting involved in logistics. Luda logistics—that has a nice ring to it.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so
0: <laughs> all right, Pam. Well, I, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm going I'm to be attending the conference. I'm honored to be hosting, you know, a, a panel for you guys. Um, and then all of the different educational experiences that you're going to be sharing throughout and leading up to the conference itself. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? Anything else that the audience should know where they can register, where they can purchase tickets, all that good stuff?
1: Um, so, yes, go to our website, Manifest, and uh, make sure you sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Fest. Um, we, I, I curate a lot of the, the news that's happening in the industry as well as funding. Um, and so far it's gotten really good feedback from everybody that's been getting it. So please join us there, follow us on LinkedIn, um, and hopefully we'll see you in Vegas. January, absolutely. January 2022.
0: And and I love it because your, your email newsletter, even if you, you should go to the conference, but if you're not comfortable yet, sign up for that newsletter, because it really is, it's, it's like my go-to each week where I get to get a digest of the entire industry in one email without having to scroll through a thousand different stories. So I love it. Um, I encourage everyone to go out and, and sign up for it and check out the events page. So thank you so much, Pam. Um, it was a pleasure speaking to you and looking forward
1: to the event. Thank you so much. Looking forward to having you. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, that was cool. That was a really good chat with Pam. I, 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 you know, I talk about how I've been on the road for the last month and in one hand, it's really tiring to be on the road that often. But on the other hand, you hear about events like this coming up in the future. And it just it's something to, to get really excited about because there is a certain kind of energy that happens at a live event versus a virtual event. And virtual events are still fun. I've, I've participated in many, especially the freight waves, all of the virtual events with freight waves and the community building that can go on in a digital space is phenomenal. But coupled with the live events that are hopefully going to come back, you know, full force in 2022, uh, there, there's just something that is is magical about those experiences. So I'll link to all of those different places where you can check out Manifest, you can follow Pam, all that good stuff all in the show notes in the description. So be sure to check those out. But now it's time for one of my more favorite parts of the show. Uh, uh, Really, I say this as this is the only second time that we've done this because the last time that I did it was the last show before we were on the road. But it went so well. And I heard some good things from other people that they liked it as well. So I'm going to keep it going and probably keep this going each week. Um, until I just can't find any more TikToks to share with you guys. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. So we're going to go ahead and get rolling into uh, my favorite TikToks, a little bit of brain candy for y'all. And the first one that I want to bring up is urban design and city planning. It's not something that I have admittedly put a lot of thought into. I didn't necessarily know that a lot of, uh, uh, but it makes sense that a lot of this planning would happen and would take place at a large scale. But a gentleman has recently ro- rose to prominence by talking about how cities are built for cars versus how they're built for people. And let's go ahead and bring up the first video that kind of breaks this down this a little bit more.
2: scale at which cities are built play a huge role in their livability. You see, a place like this is designed for cars, not people. That's why if you've ever stood next to one of these signs, you've seen just how gigantic they really are. When you compare that giant sign in a mall to these small little signs on a walk street, you begin to see the difference between pedestrian scale and car scale. That's why walking places like this makes you feel like you don't belong there, whereas walking somewhere like this feels far more welcoming. It's because every element you see is designed at the human scale, and the contrast is stark when you see what it looks like when things are designed at the scale of car. So if you ever feel uncomfortable walking on a street like this, it's because it was designed for cars, not people.
0: So that right there it's, it's sort of eye-opening, right? Because as you're driving, you're not necessarily paying attention to something if it's built for people or if it's built for cars. Obviously, if you're driving, you don't necessarily have time to enjoy the the different scenery. But... Depending on, I, I know specifically in my city where I'm from in Jacksonville, there are certain neighborhoods that are built for walkability. And then there are certain areas that are not built for walkability. And I stay far away from the places that aren't built for walkability. And it just sort of rings true. And I, I think this next video from the same gentleman uh, talking cities is, is going to, to sort of further clarify that.
2: Perfect example of really good design. Look at the size and scale of the sign that hangs outside the shop. Then compare that to a sign like this. When you design around cars, you have to build signs at a very large scale. But when you design around people, you can build at the human scale. Human scale design is one of the factors that makes areas like this so pleasant to walk through. Walking through an area like this would be deeply unpleasant. And yet walking somewhere like this with all these human scale sized signs would be very nice. Even a detail as small as signs makes an area more pleasant and walkable.
0: See, it's, it's those little things that i think help bring into perspective of of how city planning and urban design is taking a hold and how a lot of different downtowns and a lot of different you know sort of the urban cities uh or or the urban areas of cities are coming back to life because they were built for walkability they weren't necessarily built cars. And so I thought that that was just an interesting take and an interesting look. And if you're anything like me, that after watching those videos, now you will start to pay attention to it more and start to pay attention to where you find yourself walking in your own city and why you choose to walk in those different areas. So I thought that that was interesting. Now, the next one I want to show you guys is the McDonald's ice cream machine conspiracy, which I thought was a, a pretty fascinating deep dive into. I mean, it, we all have faced it. You pull up into the McDonald's drive through You're hoping you got your, your, your fingers and your toes crossed that the ice cream machine, that the McFlurry machine is not broken today. And we finally have a reason as to why the majority of those machines have been broken for so long. Breaking news. McDonald's won their lawsuit to repair their own ice cream machines. So McDonald's has 13,000 stores worldwide. Each one of them has this special ice cream machine made by Taylor Company that sell for $18,000 each because they can make both shakes and soft serve. At any given time, 11% of McDonald's ice cream machines are broken. And previously, the only way to get them fixed was to have a certified Taylor technician come out and do it. And it cost the company millions of dollars in service fees. So this other company created a diagnostic tool that would allow a staff member to just quickly fix what had gone wrong. And of course, Taylor didn't want that to happen. They even allegedly tried to steal this company's tech, but a judge just ruled that McDonald's should be able to repair their own equipment. And so hopefully the McDonald's ice cream machine near you won't be broken. I love that we're finally getting a little bit of a light shined onto something that was once thought of as a conspiracy theory, but is in fact very much true. And it's true because of the fact that these machines are specifically made by a specific company and they sort of use, I don't want to say like the Peloton or maybe like the John Deere is more of a better example of that model where the, the, the model of Taylor is to not only sell, the business, or sell sell these machines, but it's to sell the maintenance work. And if you can make your machines break quite often, then you get more maintenance work and you get more maintenance fees. And if you are the only provider of those products or of those parts that can fix those machines and you're the only people that can fix it themselves, then it leaves room for a lot of that residual income to come later on. So it's not just about selling the machine one time, it's about selling the service and the maintenance and the parts later on down the line. So it looks like we're on a pathway to, to having more ice cream choices at McDonald's or having a greater chance of getting those ice cream choices whenever you pull up through the drive-thru. I will say, though, that w- recently, since that video was made, that the FTC is now reportedly investigating what's going on between Taylor and between McDonald's company as a whole. So it calls into to question the entire business structure. So hopefully, like I said, it's going to be a little bit better of a pathway forward in order for us to be able to get our McFlurries and to not have to worry if the machine is broken or to check that random website. I think there's a website out there. I'm blanking on the name, but you can actually go to it and see which machines at which locations are broken at different McDonald's all across the country. Um, The next one that I want to bring up is keeping it with the the fast food family, and that's Waffle House. We've all all heard of the Waffle House Index, where you judge the severity of weather that's going on based on if Waffle House is open. But this next video takes it just to a whole new level.
3: Maybe I'm late to this party, but guys, Waffle House is not to be messed with. Growing up, I always knew that Waffle House is never gonna be closed no matter what, right? They're at least gonna be open to give coffee to their customers. It goes so much further than that. Check this out guys, this is their storm center. This is where they monitor and track any developing serious storms that could impact their operations. And apparently they're so good at it that FEMA literally will use them as a reference point. In addition to this, they have response teams that will go out to the Waffle Houses that have had to shut down and they're equipped with gas generators and whatever else they need to, to be able to get the restaurants back up and running. And if a store should be so damaged that it's not operational, they literally have mobile waffle houses ready to go. (laughs) Here's the one that really butters my croissant. If an area is not accessible by the vehicles, they literally have a jump team ready to parachute in to get waffle houses up and running. Who runs this operation?
0: Okay, I want to interview. I'm putting out a public PSA. I would like to interview any Waffle House para jumper that would like to come on the show because I have to know how involved this job is. If you are risking your life to, parachute into a storm where the Waffle House is not operational, I want to interview you. So this is a public PSA because I think that that sounds like the job of a lifetime. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Godspeed, Waffle House. Next video I want to show is they may not be able to. And when I say they, I mean, some of the top delivery companies in the world, Amazon, UPS, FedEx, We've all been hearing about drone package delivery for a while, and some of those companies out there have already canceled those plans in order for those taking shape. But what isn't being canceled is drone racing. This is one of the more fascinating things I've ever seen because I, I didn't know that drone racing exists, and it's thrilling. Now the
4: Nerf, 1-2 for the Diamond Gate. But Nerf makes the pass going into Stadium Dive. Whoa. Nerf kissed the ground a little bit. It's the Swatch Gate again.
0: just have to sit and think about that for a second that these guys are sitting down and they're uh, they have headphones on to watch what the drone sees and they're remote controlling it throughout these crazy insane races and on top of that you have people doing play by play for these races so not only have drones sort of taken on this next level where they're, you know, a, a core piece of entertainment now, photography, videography, drone racing. But they're also taking on a different level where it's starting to become competitive. I've also seen uh, movements being made where they're trying to get theme parks like Disney, instead of having fireworks each night, that they that they should instead have a drone light show. So there's all different kind of aspects in which drones are being used. And it's kind of wild to watch it happened in a racing environment where play-by-play sports announcers are getting involved and advertisers are, spons- are sponsoring different segments of the race. I think that that's a whole new journey as far as uh, I don't even want to call it e-sports as concerned. I guess it's technically e-sports and real sports and maybe motor sports. I'm not exactly sure how you classify it, but I, I, it's one sport that I think that it would be thrilling to watch live. Now, bringing it back to the logistics world for a minute. I thought that this video was pretty crazy because I've never been, I've always wanted to tour a port. I live in the Jacksonville area. Jack's port is probably, you know, a rock's throw away. Um, They're not currently doing tours because of COVID. And so in the future, I would love to be able to tour facilities like that. So I haven't ever been able to really see some of these cargo ships up close and personal but this is the comparison video of a cargo ship being loaded versus one that is unloaded and the difference in the weight of the ship which is crazy to watch let's play it
1: if you ever want to know the difference between what comes in and what comes out this ship is going to leave tonight it's got about 500 more containers to put on it see how high out of the water it is this ship just came in as you can see pretty low down in the water We're big discrepancy what comes in and what goes out
0: pretty wild, right? To see the difference in the weight of the ship, which is something, I mean, I guess you should think about, but it's not something that's at the top of mind, depending on the weight of the ship. I just assumed maybe, oh, low tide, and then you see the other ship, and it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, that's um, that, that's a little bit of a difference there. Um, and just keeping it up with, the, with talking about different ports, the Long Beach port is completely automated by AI, and they had this TikTok video to talk a little bit about how they're doing that process.
4: Port Long Beach is the second busiest port in North America and the first fully automated container terminal in the United States.
0: When a ship pulls alongside, we're using different algorithms to figure out traffic, scheduling, dispatching, and planning. We're doing this with 10 different cranes at the same time, 50 different vehicles at the same time, and we have 30,000 different places to put that container in the yard. We ship the shore cranes, we will set the container on the platform. On that platform, there are over 20 cameras that use optical character recognition, or OCR. Another crane will then pick it up put it onto a fully automated vehicle. That vehicle will drive through the yard and it'll get to the right spot. These are transponders buried in the ground. They're in a grid pattern. There's more than
2: 10,000 out on the production field. There's an antenna on the front and the rear.
3: Once it reaches the yard, an automated stacking crane will pick it up and deposit it into a yard block. From the block, it'll eventually get deposited onto a truck or onto a bomb cart where it can make its way onto a train.
0: It's fascinating. I don't know if you've ever watched any of, and I feel like I've said fascinating about 10 times already during this segment. So, But these are the kind of videos that make me excited, especially as I scroll through a platform like TikTok, where I just continuously see things that are, that you can learn more about and be entertained. And this was one of them because I had no idea That the the, uh, port logistics has been or really just managing the freight within a port has been completely automated in that respect from the transponders in the ground to recognizing the different numbers on the different containers that that all is I think is the future. And it really, I mean, obviously, we're all dealing with congestion of, of different, you know, supply chain bottlenecks all over the country and really all over the globe. And so if things like this can help speed up a lot of those different congestion hotspots, then I think that that's going to be the future for a lot of different ports that choose to invest in that type of technology. So hopefully you found that interesting, because the last video that I want to show you guys is because uh, let's just be honest, a lot of the news sucks today in, in, in just in today's world. And it's Depressing, and you know that's a whole other side of the story. But for this show, I really love to bring exciting topics, topics that you could be curious about and love to learn, and things like that. And this last video, I think, really touches on the true nature of humanity. So, in a world of bad news, I wanted to to end this segment with this piece of good news.
4: People think we're more divided as a country now than we've been in a long time. I know it can seem that way, but when I was a little kid in nineteen sixty nine. The Vietnam War was tearing the country apart, and they'd shot John F. Kennedy, and they'd shot Bobby Kennedy, they'd shot Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and there was the Manson family and the Zodiac Killer, and it just felt like the whole country lost its mind. My father had grown up in the Depression while well, his faith in humanity was just at a low ebb. And the two of us that June were driving from L.A. to Oakland in our old 1960 Oldsmobile, and. A water pump blew out south of Bakersfield and so on. This was long before cell phones, so we were about, well, we were gonna have to hoof it like nine or 10 miles into town when this young cowboy pulls up in a flatbed and offers to tow us in. And all my dad had on him for money was this old Chevron gas card. So he kept telling this young fellow, you know, I can't pay you. And the young cowboy's looking at him like, yeah, I wasn't gonna charge it. So he rolls us into town and this is a Sunday, so nothing's open. So he has to go get his mechanic friend to open up his garage. And my dad says, hey, listen, I don't have any money on the mechanic. says, you know, we'll work something out. And then they all realize they don't have the actual parts. So now they got to go roust out the local auto parts store owner. And they bring him down. And my father's like, OK, OK, we need to talk about how this is all going to get settled. Because he just couldn't imagine anybody being this trusting about the money. So the cowboy says, look at it and make it feel better. I got a bunch of watermelons I need to get loaded onto my flatbed. And it's pretty hot work. And if you help me out, I'll pay for the part. So next thing you know, we're all unloading watermelons from inside a rail car, and that's about 140 degrees. And 90 minutes later, we are soaked in sweat and up rolls the car, just running like a top. And my dad says, I really don't know how to thank you fellas and uh, for this good turn. And we're turning to go and the mechanic gets this look on his face and says, whoa, whoa, where do you think you're going? And you could see on my father's face, just all the fear and distrust come to the surface. He's stiffened like a leopard. And the mechanic says, no, no, no. My wife's going to make us all Sunday dinner, and you and the boy can get a shower and a clean shirt, and it'll, it'll make the drive easier for all of us. So we sat down for a dinner of fried chicken from the chicken right over there and corn on the cob from the corn right over there. And man, I got to tell you, I, 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 we'll never have a meal that good ever again. And my dad didn't say maybe three words the whole drive, but when we got home, I got into bed, and I was just about to turn off a light, and he stops in the doorway, and he says to me, No matter what you see in the movies, or on TV, or you read in the papers, you listen to me. That's how people really are. And about a month later, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. So
3: keep the faith.
0: Hope you guys enjoyed that note. We will be back here live next Thursday, 2 p.m. Catch the replay on FreightWaves TV and all the show notes for the links that we reference. Thank you.